0: You're listening to the season four finale of Human Amplified. For more resources while the podcast is off season, follow us on socials at Human Amplified and explore humanamplified.com. There you'll find past podcast episodes, our blog, free downloads, merch and artwork in our shop, and you can sign up for emails from me, Brandy, so you don't miss a thing. I'm your host, Brandy Fleck, and this is Human Amplified. We're on a mission to revamp society by amplifying your humanity. This week
1: on the show. Hi, my name is Yemi Penn and I'm based in Sydney, Australia. But we need our humans to be sustainable because they are the custodians of the planet. Because you tend to find a lot of people who have been traumatized, subconsciously start traumatizing others in almost exactly the same way. When we assume there's only one way to look at things, I think we close off any ability to grow. Who have you become because of these difficult things of what's the beauty that has come through?
0: This episode does come with a trigger warning around child sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised. Today we're talking to Yemi Penn. She's an engineer, author, documentary producer, speaker and is currently pursuing her PhD around the topic of trauma and how it can be transformative. She's a survivor herself, whose self-awareness and growth is ongoing. She's in the midst of transformation and change. So it was the perfect time to dig really deep into topics like why life doesn't have to be a struggle, what trauma is, how the aftermath of traumatic events can lead to struggle, and the huge question of what is the point of trauma? Yemi then boldly and openly tells us about her own traumatic experience, giving specific examples of how it's rippled out into her life. A loss of power and consent led to a minimization of her voice. We explore how this became intertwined with personality, how she uses her voice now, the power of acknowledgement and awareness, some of the healing modalities Yemi has used in her own healing journey, And we even breach the topic of restorative justice and how punishment just isn't working to stop perpetrators. This episode may be hard to listen to for some of you, but I hope it inspires you to face any discomfort you may feel when you're ready in order to embrace the sometimes messy inner work required to heal your own trauma. We end the episode by considering the question, what would life look like without trauma? Yemi says she searched the depths of her soul to answer this question and the others throughout this vulnerable and informative interview. I invite you now to imagine for yourself a life in a world without trauma. If we can do that, we can get there. For the links mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at humanamplified.com frontslash episodes frontslash 104. Subscribe to the show if you haven't yet and let us know how the season went for you. Leave Human Amplified a review on Google, Apple Podcasts, or Facebook. Everybody, today we are welcoming Yemi Penn to Human Amplified. Yemi, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing today?
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm doing good. I've been looking forward to this because Human Amplified, I mean, what an amazing name. So I, I can't wait to to actually share things that I'm going to find out about me for the first time. So thank you so much for having me on.
0: Oh, that's awesome. What a great way to look at it, like as an exploration and discovery. Oh,
1: it is. It is. Some people think, I mean, this is why sometimes I
0: try not to have questions
1: or even look at the questions before, because, you know, for me, being human is about feeling. So why don't I just feel into the question as it comes?
0: Yeah, Okay. Well, that's wonderful. How about before we dive in, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, this is going to be
1: very choppy because I'm actually going through a change Mm. of who I am, how I show up in the world. But if I could probably go back to my old definitions, which is still relevant, is I'm an engineer by profession, an entrepreneur by passion, but a transformation thought leader by mission, meaning that I am dedicated to the sustainability of humanity Mm. Um, we keep on talking about sustaining our planet and I'm doing this double take of are we gonna have more leaders talking about the fact that we need our humans to be sustainable because they are the custodians of the planet and so a lot of my work is focused around that to which end I'm currently studying a PhD on trauma finding out if it can be transformative because I think this is the way we need to go in order to sustain humanity.
0: Oh my goodness. I got chills the entire time you were talking. And totally yeah, that just came out. Yeah. Just came out. We have to fix the trauma. We have to do something about it to keep going. I totally agree.
1: Absolutely. And
0: it's in your face, but my goodness. I mean, I don't even anyway
1: let me let me cool down and stay focused that I'll let you lead with the questions but yes trauma is is a big part of my of my why
0: sure yeah and we'll definitely get into trauma quite a bit in this discussion I think mm. to kick it off let me ask you when I say the phrase the ripple is real what does that bring up for you oh cause and effect meaning
1: whatever action and sometimes inaction you do there will be an effect and the reason why I kind of pause in my responses is because I don't want my tone to right or wrong anything the ripple is real just seems to be a statement which is whatever you do or don't do there is an effect and that cause that do or not doing is the cause so that's what comes to mind I don't even know if I've answered it in the right way but that's exactly what I felt in my in my knowing
0: yeah whatever you felt was the right way so (laughs) I wasn't looking for anything specific good 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 yeah okay I think that's a good starting point maybe a little foundation or a little window into who you are and how you think and how you feel Um, because I would I would love to get into your personal story and get to know you a little more. And I saw on your website that over a decade ago, you were homeless, it said. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny because I was telling a friend yesterday, it's just part of my story that I'm still not fully integrated with. And I think that's because I don't see it to be that big deal. But in saying that, I probably take away that some people have lived that experience and still live in. So I am now actually showing up as a different person to even who I was yesterday when I was sharing the exact same story on a podcast. I had graduated from university engineering and I remember thinking, is this it? Um am we just done a roller coaster. Like, am I just now meant to go to work indefinitely till it's time to retire? And I guess I started looking well, I was already in a relationship and I thought, let's let's start and let's have a family. But it never really occurred to us to get married first. So I effectively got pregnant outside of marriage, which according to my tradition at the time was kind of like taboo. It was a no-no. And as much as my parents have always supported me, and they still do today, whether they like what I'm doing or not, was that we needed to get married. And both of us didn't want to. And so it was a case of, okay, you need to find your own place. Um, I was allowed to stay there for a couple of months. I think I was six, seven months pregnant. And my partner at the time didn't have, he didn't have the space to take me in because he was in shared living. And I was doing a bit of sofa surfing until it got to the crux. And I had to literally be on the doorstep of the, you know, what we call the council, where they house people somewhere between midnight to late in the morning, where I'm kind of effectively trying to be the first in the queue because I was so desperate to be housed. and I remember thinking at that point, this is, this is a low point. This is a really low point. How did you get here? How do you graduate with a first class degree, which I definitely see as a privilege for me, which is why, you know, there's, there was a bit of shame attached to this story. Um, and then I was put in what some people call a halfway house, which, you know, either some people who are just coming off drugs um, that was mostly the people in there but here I was in in a room with rodents going across thinking wow this this is my life now and I think something maybe internally kind of tweaked but yeah that that was that was the stage of my life that probably needed to happen but was just so surprised it was happening to me Mm. yeah okay
0: And this is somewhat related, I believe, but it also says on your website that you almost inherited the story that suggested life needed to be a struggle. So why doesn't life need to be a struggle? And I find this question interesting after you just said that being unhoused was, is sort of not fully integrated because you didn't see it as that big of a deal. Yeah. So I feel like that's connected. Yeah.
1: So you're asking why doesn't, why life doesn't have to be a struggle. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a good question. I don't know if it's going to sound so, but let, let just stay with me. Sure. I don't believe it has to be a struggle because I think life just is. Don't get me wrong. I think humans have complicated things. I don't know if we think there's anything or anyone else out there, but at the moment I believe we are the custodians of life as we know it, systems, the earth, all of that. I think we. I think it. I think it just is, and this is. These are the theories I'm trying to figure out in some of my research. You know, trauma. You know, some people say it's a distressing or disturbing event, but my research is beginning to show it's not actually the event; it's the aftermath of the event that becomes the trauma within us. And this isn't to reduce the severity of it, but it's to give us this different perspective, um, and that's the different perspective I'm trying to shy. So when you say Why does it not? Because life just is. Is it our ability to manage and reintegrate after that becomes our work? But the the suffering and the struggle that I was going for was this theory that in order to get what I wanted, I needed to work crazy hours or I needed to fight when relationships were about to end. Like this is all the stuff that is being shown on the TV, sometimes to make more money, sometimes to create more news. Um, I think we've created that life life, to me just is, but we've just got so many competing things that I think most of us will struggle to accept that, but that, Mm. that's my, my genuine innate thought. Sometimes I've experienced it maybe a week maximum at a time where life has just felt like it was, but then I needed to create chaos because it wasn't giving me the standard of life I've been used to living for decades. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot in there, but I definitely don't think it needs to be. I mean, all you've got to do is go to the traditional cultures back in the day. You know, I live in Australia. We've got the Aboriginal people who, you know, share their history of it just was. And when things, you know, when things went really bad was when we had the colonizers come over here. So that was the So there's always sometimes an external unsettlement, but within their own communities, it just was. And if people did things that were unsettling within their communities, there was a way to deal with that. And mm. um, we've, yeah, we've, we've lost that.
0: Mm, okay. And I love your answer. Just watching your process is really fun because you mentioned that trauma isn't actually, it's the event, it's the aftermath of the event. So it's sort of like how we react to it. That's, that's one,
1: that's one theory. And, and this is the, the fascinating thing about the research I'm doing. And even when I teach as a thought leader, is that there can't be one version of reality. So some people might believe there is the event. So if you have a shock event, that kind of goes in your body immediately, car accident. But it's the sometimes that goes into more complex. So I guess I'm trying to challenge and differentiate and say, can we still be traumatized if we are not in the event that initiated the trauma? Mm. Because if we've moved on, then something else has happened and that's what we need to be looking at. But we keep going back to the incident. And we understand why we're going back. But the integrative process that I'm beginning to want to question is, well, the fact that you are not in that traumatic event anymore, then your trauma is now something else. And that's, yeah, that's one theory. But I do know that there are a lot of um, academics um, and theorists who actually think it's either the event or an experience.
0: Okay. Then I'm going to ask this question. And you can correct my wording if I'm off base okay but so do you think that our traumatic experiences or maybe whatever it is that we're having after the event yeah puts us in those struggles in life that maybe we've complicated to overcome them is that like part of the human experience just innately I
1: believe it is Brandy, I really do. I believe it is. And for a world who is so obsessed with data, we might not have that in the encyclopedias or the academic books, but for the few people, a couple of hundred, possibly going into the thousands that I speak to, it appears it's, and it's very difficult to figure out whether the experience of the trauma is the nucleus of the individual or whether they just some, I think some of us try to hide it. And um, Michael Singer says it's really great in his book, um, Untethered Soul. He refers to, I I call it term traumas, but it refers to some of our pain as thorns. Like we've got these thorns sticking out of our body, but what we've done a really good job of is putting some bubble wrap around it mm. so that we don't feel the pain. But then what happens when we're triggered is like we, we get into a relationship that is so related to the thorn. But what they're effectively doing is taking that bubble wrap up and it hurts. And I love his analogy of that because. That's what I believe we do with our trauma. We, we protect it. For me, I dissociate. So I kind of mentally remove myself from the situation to avoid feeling. Mm-hmm. But then what that does, that's my bubble wrap. But then when someone comes in and they're in my face and they're triggering me with, you know, any kind of trauma I've had, that's when it feels like they're pressing against the thorn. And the invitation is, um, are you going to nurse it? Do you need to clip off? do you need to just accept it and just be more aware when you walk around not to get to bump into stuff Mm. but i i think it is um i actually think it's a critical part of the human experience i really do and that's that's hard to hear for some i can imagine
0: yeah yeah so let's go a little bit deeper into that and just explore what is the point of trauma With the knowledge that I have,
1: with the life that I'm living, I look at my children. I have two children. I've got an eight-year-old and a 15-year-old. They both have different dads. And although I told myself and promised myself that I would never have them be separated, when I went to therapy, that fear was a reason why I was, I guess, feeling overwhelmed with always having the parents involved. Because for them to go to their fathers would mean they were actually going to different countries.
2: Mm.
1: So when I just even explain that from my view, I can automatically see how that might be traumatizing for them. So here I am in the now fully aware that my actions or inactions can be traumatizing for them, even though that is not my intention. Mm -hmm. So most of my work when it comes to transformation is put yourself in the driver's seat. We have such good, ability to say what others are doing wrong but all you got to do is look at yourself and that's where empathy comes from so I'm fully aware that I might be the source or at the source even though it's not my intention so can we avoid trauma that's where I am now I'm just not convinced with the way we've set up the world that we that we can Mm. and and I and I think a big part of what we need to do is acceptance but not willing to let it continue In the way that it is or to the impact and the harm that it is that's the bit that i haven't unhinged which is what role are we meant to play as a result of having experienced trauma you know when i think of my traumatic incident which i'm more than happy to share with you um if if you think your audience are open to hearing that i actually think even though i didn't orchestrate for that to happen to me it's happened so what am i going to do about it in an ideal world i'm going to stop other perpetrators doing what was done to me because i know what was lost but I also know what I'm gaining in the process. So it's a really thin line um, almost feels very oxymoron like because would I be doing this if I didn't experience that trauma? And does that mean everyone needs to experience that? I'm uncomfortable with that. I'm uncomfortable with saying everyone does. Yeah. But it is sometimes we just have to accept certain facts. So what, but my question is, what are we going to do about it? Rather than wallowing it, what are we going to do about it?
0: Yeah. Okay. If you would like to share your traumatic experience, you're more than welcome to. I think the audience would have a lot to learn from you. And, you know, I was going to mention, you do have a documentary that was really beautifully done. It's called, Did I Choose My Trauma? And it's at Pen dot com front slash documentary and I'll put that in the show notes if our guests or if our listeners are interested in going over there and checking that out but please share whatever you feel comfortable sharing
1: yeah the title in itself for some could be could be triggering Mm -hmm. but I learned from Tony Robbins who I, I studied and followed a lot of his work for a while is the quality of your questions sometimes determines the quality of your life I just say how you ask those questions is what's important And the more I got involved in alternative methods of healing and resolving, that question was prominent. So when people watch it, as they have an open mind. Now, I think everyone has a trauma story. Some, they might think it's a big T, some less T. I don't actually think we should get into the habit of comparing because we then lose focus on the healing. But for me, one of the events that I'm pretty confident has defined me and continues to explain why, I feel a certain way or do certain things was as a a child, my power, my sexual power was taken away. It was abused by an uncle. He abused his power. And someone asked me yesterday, Yami, how do you feel when you share this? I said, look, I'm getting stronger every day, but I had to change the way I shared it because sometimes I would just say it. I was sexually abused as a child and that would sometimes leave people in their own terror in their own flight, their own fight. because I have to remember, Brandy, that when you look at the stats, just for this particular type of trauma, Mm -hmm. one in three, one in four women, girls have experienced this. Yeah. For boys and men, it's one in five, one in six. And this varies according to country, but let's just say the Western world who, who pick up this data. So I have to be aware that, you know, there's a pretty solid percentage who are either listening to me say it. And so it's trying to find that balance, but then I also didn't want to glaze over it as if it was insignificant. But because I continue to do the work and I speak about it, but that's the one that I think really formed how I showed up as a kid. You know, I used to tell people, even as an adult, that I'm shy. I'm not shy. I just hid when uncle came around. Mm. And I wasn't able to detach that from 10-year-old Yemi, 12, 15, 20, 30-year-old Yemi, who was still saying she was shy. I'm not shy. I'm an introvert. I like to come and but when I get on stage and I'm speaking, you know, I appear extrovert. That's, I'm not shy. Mm-hmm. So what else do we have in our personality traits that have actually been hinged to a traumatic incident mm. that we haven't even looked into? And that's where, you know, I'm, I'm currently working on my third documentary titled Cleaning Our Trauma is the invitation to not get rid of it, because I don't think we can, but to just have a look and say, is the trauma that I experienced? making me show up in a limited way? What would it look like if I just cleaned it? Cleaned it meaning that you don't blow it through others because you tend to find a lot of people who have been traumatized subconsciously start traumatizing others in almost exactly the same way. Yes. And so, yeah, that's a lot of my work at the moment.
0: Okay. So going to the topic of limits and how we're limited, can you describe for us how that experience impacted your voice?
1: Mm. Hmm. Probably a couple of ways that I will still be finding out in the years to come, because I mean, who has time to investigate (laughs) what they went through in such granular details? You have neuroscientists who are looking at the brain to see what happens when someone is reminded, like, who's got time for that? People have to go and work. So, you know, I I feel fortunate enough to have it. And that's why I think I'll keep on learning. But the two ways that that particular trauma impacted me with my voice was this shyness thing. So I wouldn't speak because if I spoke, that means you're going to see me and you're going to hear me. I didn't want that for Mm -hmm. a very long time, but without knowing that that was the link, it was just, you know, you just don't show up. Oh, yeah, me shy. Yemi doesn't argue back. Yemi's the good kid because she doesn't argue back. Then the second one, which is very close to LinkedIn, is, no, you got that wrong because I told you when Uncle was doing this, but it doesn't appear that anyone did anything. And then I just stopped talking about it. I can't remember. Someone might have said, just shush, stop talking about this. And when someone says that, that's them saying it's okay. So of course I thought that was okay until I started to grow up read stuff, watch movies that kind of made those behaviors, quote unquote, bad. Um, but my voice was still numb. And then in 2012, when this uncle comes back into the sphere of my existence in London, because my abuse was happening in Nigeria, I find out he's looking after a, a little girl. And I'm like, that, yeah, I need to speak up. And I start doing this radical thing of bringing up every family member. And just telling them, because I'm thinking, so hold up, nobody was listening to me when I was speaking when I was seven, eight years old. So maybe you should listen to me now, because I actually still think it's a bad idea for him to look after any little girls. And I, sadly, I was too late, because by the time I'd done the phone call, he had already once again used another little girl of her power. And this was 2012. So I'm in my 30s at this point. And I was shut down again. And so what did I do? I married a beautiful man. However, we did not know each other as well as we should have for compatibility. And I relocated to Japan. Okay. So when you see people doing things that appear to be quote unquote crazy, we need to look in a bit more and say, Hey, is everything okay? What are you running away from? Mm. Because that was my voice again, gone. And I just thought I'm out. I'm out. Let me silence my voice in the UK. But now my voice is getting stronger because I've got a documentary out there that's a finalist. At some point, it will be on Netflix. And I want to make it clear, my, my, um, my mission isn't on the perpetrator. My mission is on those who are still trying to heal from impacts mm-hmm. to trauma as a whole, but also those who have perpetrated. Do I think there's work to do with perpetrators of trauma? Absolutely. Do I think we need a different approach to how we have done it through punitive punishment over the past decades and centuries? Yes, because it's not working. That's a good point yeah yeah it's not working so we don't want to blame everything on patriarchy but we appreciate that brutality and and punishment were forms of just taking what wasn't ours but it's not even working for those who who are doing who are doing harm yeah so I think we need a different approach
0: listeners we're talking with Yemi Penn based in Sydney Australia she's an engineer author documentary producer speaker and is currently pursuing her phd in trauma her latest book is called did you get the memo it's time for a quick break i'm your host brandi fleck and this is human amplified when i look back at the whole of season four i see an evolution that parallels the evolution of the human spirit we don't have to be what we've always been we can change we can move forward We can create a life and by extension a society that works better for us and that my friend is what it's all about we can't change the past but we can change the here now and future when you're ready i'm here for you as a trauma-informed coach to hold space for you as you build awareness and heal your trauma post-traumatic growth is possible the inner work looks different for everybody but together over time We can practice regulating your nervous system, rerouting neural pathways, and reconnecting your body, mind, and spirit so that you feel more peace and freedom to be your authentic and beautiful self. To get started, book your free discovery call by emailing me at brandyfleck at humanamplified.com or visit the show notes at humanamplified.com front slash episodes front slash 104 and click the button that says book now. now back to the show we're talking to yemi penn engineer author documentary producer speaker and trauma phd candidate her latest book is called did you get the memo let's talk about transmutation and transformation because i feel like that's sort of what you're going through i mean you you know When you came on, you said you're in the middle of a transition. You're sort of changing. You're getting your voice back. So is transformation and transmutation the same thing? And then why is it important that we transmute our trauma?
1: Yeah, I think they're very close. But if I could give two different views of my definition, for me, transformation is a shift in perspective. Okay. I love that definition. I think I heard it from a gentleman who owns Mind Valley. I loved it. It was just a shift in perspective. And that seems simple because in doing so, I think you just have a more rounded way of being. When we assume there's only one way to look at things, I think we close off any ability to grow. So I think in transformation, there's an element of growth, but simplistically, I think it's a shift in perspective that then allows for, I don't know, expansion, for want of a better word. For me to transmute feels like the art of alchemy the art of taking something that appeared to be really painful, ugly, not in the attractive sense, but ugly in the feeling sense into something powerful. That transmute really is, oh, alchemy is the only way. I mean, the, what's the name? The Alchemist, that book was profound. The story of this boy who seems to come from not much, but he's on this journey. And, and I, that, that journey felt really long but it was so sweet at the end. And that for me is the art of alchemy is going through the journey to create something profound. But that's what transmutes me. It, you know, it's, it's almost the kind of version of sadly what we hear when people say, oh, you know, whether they've got an illness or a cancer like that, there's an aggression attached to that. This, this one, there is, there is beauty. Mm. There is greatness, even in the ugly. And the ugly can be the cancers, but the transmutation is what? Who have you become from this? What were you before? Who have you become because of these difficult things? And what's the beauty that has come through? I Mm -hmm. also liken it to um, the Japanese form of art kintsugi, where they, you know, if something breaks, they refill the cracks with with gold liquid. That's for me what transmutation is. Is there's a beauty in the brokenness?
0: Mm. Okay. So I know you weren't heard when you tried to speak up before and help keep this from happening to other girls. But now when you speak up, do you think that it helps people not go through the same thing and that that's part of transmutation? No, I'm definitely not
1: there yet with my speaking. I think when I speak now, what I do is allow people who have experienced something similar or any other type Mm -hmm. of trauma to at least acknowledge what they went through.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: So I think my, my voice at the moment is purely the acknowledgement. Mm. Um, it's the acknowledgement and awareness however it's nowhere near the stopping and that's where and when I say I'm going through this change that's where I'm at right now is how big do I want to take this because I know (laughs) with the things that I've achieved so far in life through transformation through shifts in my perspective I know it's possible for me to go really global with what I'm doing which is a different way to looking at things and I'm not the only one there are other people who are looking at stuff Mm-hmm. But it hasn't got to the point that it's it stopped it. And I definitely can't do it alone. It's going to have to be collaborations, partnerships. You know, I, I've start, started a foundation with a few other people, but, you know, we need the time and the funds to be able to get that to kickstart, where we start having, you know, worldly circles, you know, healing circles, what, you know, the Indigenous people here call yarning circles, where speaking is a big part of healing. Mm. But remember that we can also be speaking to the people who are the ones who are committing some of these heinous acts that's a good point I mean what have I missed don't get me wrong I'm not trying to say the forgiveness needs to come immediately forgiveness is a personal journey but I spoke to a lady in Canada who's the first person she sadly was raped by I don't know if it was someone she knew but she really fought for him to be part of a restorative justice process which very simply meant that it was important that while he served, he had therapy Mm. to find out why exactly did he do this and why not to do it again? You know, we use, I think we have used fear to try to stop lots of things, just the same way my uncle would have used elements of fear. He was very kind. He was very gentle. Like I didn't walk down the street and fear that he would hit me. The fear was different. The fear was you're going to take my choice away the fear is you're going to take my voice away the fear is you are going to touch me and I don't want you to it's the whole consent thing but to be abused at a power where a kid is still trying to form what is okay and normal is cruel and maybe his brain doesn't think it's cruel but we need to have a conversation but you know there's still a lot of denial on his part that was a whole heap of flow there but um yeah totally to share that
0: yeah yeah so I feel like Part of this journey has been spiritual for you. Is that true? Definitely. Maybe the latter part. It hadn't been to begin with. You know, I think my deep journey
1: on, on the healing or the acknowledgement in, in truth really started about five years ago. But after I tried talk therapy, there was this yearning to do other stuff. I'd find out about Reiki, energetic healing. I'd find out about someone reading my numbers of when I was born, which was, you know, I used to read horoscopes, but that was just kind of put as tidbits in newspapers and magazines. And most of the time it's the same stuff. But this felt a little bit deeper. And then I really started to investigate. And I'm an engineer by profession. So from a scientific perspective, I was really intrigued. And I thought, well, why do we keep on calling this spiritual and, and, and term it woo woo in a derogatory way mm-hmm. when? in actual fact, all I've got to do is come out of my house and look at the stars and people talk about constellations and how, so, you know, definitely don't want to do another PhD on this, but why do we try to separate the two, the science, um, and then what we call spirituality, Mm -hmm. something, anyway, something just filled a mess. And the only way that I was going to be able to join it was to experience it. And so I've experienced a range of different things. And very recently, um, I, I experienced ayahuasca, which was a big thing for me. It's a South Amazon plant medicine kind of ceremony. And that was that was huge. That's something I would have never done, ever, 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 ever. So transformation is shifting perspective. Are you willing to change how you think is the only way to be? And I was, because I was not fully happy with the world that I was living in.
0: What happened with the... Did you call it ayahuasca?
1: Yeah. What did you do? So, the way it works is you kind of, I mean, it's, you know, shamans, oh, I probably don't even know I'm going to get the name right, but originated in South America. And Basically, it's this kind of plant that is eventually used as medicine. You know, I grew up in Africa. We used plants as medicine. They are very medicinal. We see it in our everyday. It's just that we tend to add a few more things to it to make it smell nice and whatever. But <laughs> in Africa, we we had different ones. This particular one is quite potent according to the standard. It's quite potent, but still very much works with the, the alchemy of the body on the premise that you, you know, eat rightly and you've got the right person. So I drink it and I ingest it and in ingesting it it puts me in a different state now I must highlight that I have never done drugs never done anything so any altered state of consciousness I've never really had maybe apart from having three glasses of wine so this is another reason why it was always going to take me a very long while to do this but because I'd heard especially from psychologists and therapists how powerful this had been for healing trauma I was I was intrigued and I wanted to know and been like drinking the plant medicine in this instance which I have to be very clear of my intentions I, I the best way to describe it is I'm in an altered state of consciousness so for me personally it feels like I'm having the conversation with somebody some person maybe myself I think it you know a bit later on I thought it was what I call my higher self but I would just be like I'm speaking to you I would ask why does this keep happening and the information would come really strong Oh, wow. Or someone would come into my psyche. Like for me, that was it. Others, they saw different things. They actually had visions of themselves in a different life. Um, for me as well, I actually had a conversation with my uncle, but him as a little boy. So Mm. that kind of experience, which, you know, some people could still question, but the research that has been done so far on those kind of, um, psychedelics when used in the right way, is that it's actually provided a lot of relief for people who really have post-traumatic stress disorders as a result of their traumas. So for me, it was more informative. It was more getting to know my deeper innermost thoughts at a deeper level. Yeah. Best way to describe it.
0: Was that healing for you?
1: The integration process afterwards was healing. During it, it didn't feel like it. You know, I I call that experience confronting but enlightening. And that is almost the work of looking at trauma. I can understand why people would not want to look at it. I can understand why this person says, nothing bad happened to me. I'm fine. Well, that wasn't a big deal. Everybody goes through war. Um, Oh, yeah, that, what, my dad doesn't talk to me? It's fine. Yeah, my dog died when I was nine. And apparently I didn't talk for a year, but I'm over it now. You know, that, that's what you hear. And, and that may be true, but I think part of it is there's no willingness to even look at it because it will challenge their current balance. But my theory says it pops up in other ways. It pops up when you're triggered in a very similar way in a relationship.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It pops up when um, you yeah. have children. It pops up with family members. So confronting and enlightening was the experience. So, And, and is that healing afterwards? Absolutely, because you know, in doing some of the work, it's just so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. How do you get comfortable enough to start doing the work? The desire
1: and belief that there is gold on the other side and gold not as in sparkly, but gold as in peace, as in joy, mm-hmm. as in happiness, as in love that you know you just think of yourself in the Maldives go on a little seaplane and it's taking to your little heart if this is what you like doing for others it might be climbing up mountains whatever is your place that that is what you get at the end and I, and I do I I get it I mean I get it when I'm delivering keynotes I get it when I'm facilitating small conversations and we are just connecting with our stories and our eyes and our hearts but it's this notion of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. I mean, there's nothing wrong. We can stay as we are. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you find yourself restless thinking, oh, I think it's time to change my job or this relationship isn't working for me or I want a relationship. Usually that's your soul saying there's something. And and so, yeah, it, like anything, there's a bit of work to it, but this isn't even the physical grind. Let me sweat work. This is the mm. inner work, which is some of the scariest, which is why when you ask, what does it mean to be human? It's to feel. And I think that's what fears a lot of us
0: is to feel. Yeah. Okay. Let's backtrack a little bit to dissociation, if that's okay with you. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Can you describe for us what it physically, mentally, and emotionally feels like to dissociate Mm. or how, how you know that you're dissociating?
1: So if I go back to the memory I do have as a little kid and for anyone who's listening, I just say, it's not, I don't, I'm very respectful with it. It's just, if this is difficult, the best thing to do is just brace yourself. I usually just put say my left hand underneath my right armpit and I put my right hand on my arm just as a way to soothe yourself. So I want to give you that invitation to do that. But for me, the first time of dissociating was when my uncle was on top of me. I had to leave my body. And people say, well, what does that mean? And this is part of our challenge of human beings is that we want everything to be described in English language. And when we can't do that, we just kind of disconnect. I have no other way to do it than either me closing my eyes or just not being there, thinking of unicorns, thinking of rainbows. I did what a child needed to do because she physically felt she couldn't move out of that situation. So that was dissociation, I guess, version one Yemi. Mm-hmm. And then as I grow older, you know, I'm no longer thinking about ponies and rainbows, but I'm thinking about, okay, you've got that project to do. You've got that. Okay, you've got to do this. Whereas I'm just finding out that my daughter was self-harming. Why am I thinking about the project and this and that? I'm dissociating. For me, that was my version to change it, to say, okay, yep, I'm going to get you a therapist. So, you know, still functional. You know, I'm very highly functioning, even when there's lots of stuff going on, but there's still dissociation. But I didn't notice it until I spoke to my, my daughter's counsellor who said, look, maybe you should get some help as well. And I didn't think I needed to, but it turns out when I sat with my psychologist that I, when, I, when my daughter was experiencing something, experiencing something traumatic, although it wasn't my traumatic event, I dissociated. Um, and it probably still happens today.
0: Mm. how does that dissociation impact your relationships or your relationship with your daughter
1: with my daughter it didn't because like I said I'm still very highly functioning I just kind of have this limit of for my own safety it's like a safety catch Mm. for my own safety mentally I'm just going to pause from this but I can at least now I'm aware and that's where the awareness and acknowledgement is great is just to be aware that it's happening. So with my daughter, most of the time, I don't think an issue, but sometimes I didn't hear her. I didn't hear her when she needed to be heard. And I think this is part of my struggle mm-hmm. about this human sustainability. It's that we are wanting unhealed parents to be available to heal their children. It's just, it's just crazy. And this is why, you know, when there was a period that I thought I was going to be very judgmental of my parents' parenting style, I'm living it. Yeah, maybe we would do things differently to our parents, but seriously, how do you expect unhealed people to heal people?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think you just illustrated a point you made earlier that sometimes we unknowingly perpetuate the same trauma or reactions that we had on other people because you didn't feel heard, but then you didn't hear her. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. Exactly. And does that
1: mean that I go out in my room and I try not to, and I'm just trying to show up the best way I can. Yeah. You know, I've had to change my parenting style, which has been so bloody difficult because I was raised to be the parent and say what to do. And then I attend this woman, Dr. Shafali, who talks about conscious parenting, which really highlights that parents just think they're here to control their kids. I believe in respect. So I have values, but now I've kind of found that middle ground, but it's, tough and I'm in the now what's going to happen later you know I, my daughter and I always kind of joke about might happen and you know I say yeah it's okay you can make a documentary when you, when you grow up and you know we joke about it and there is love but you know I, I have to be prepared for it I, I didn't grow up with physical contact with my parents I knew they loved me because their love was shown in their hard work and I can, I can now understand why maybe they weren't necessarily physical sometimes in their approach to love or saying, I love you. So with my daughter as my first child, if I grew up in a house where we didn't say, I love you, where, where do people think I'm going to get that from? From watching Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Like it's not ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. And this, this is the empathy I want people to have, is that I just, I didn't have that. So what's the risk we are passing on trauma? And, and this is why one of the things that I, I will be proposing in my research is trauma mapping oh I feel uncomfortable saying it anyway but yeah trauma mapping could we help our kids because apparently the best way to prevent the impacts and aftermath of trauma once a child comes out of childhood is to deal with it then and there so if I was to map the things that I think might have been traumatizing for my kids even though it was not my intention or and and this is only based on what I know is there stuff that we could start working on before it becomes patterns and behaviors?
0: Mm, Okay. Let me just ask you this big question. Mm. If we get rid of trauma in a distant future where humanity has evolved and healed, and maybe we can just imagine that we've learned to integrate all the lessons and get rid of it so that we don't keep passing it to future generations. What do you think that would be like? And would we still be able to grow as humans? Yeah, because trauma
1: still happens. People die. So people die. So we, we've got to, you know, and, and for us, for, for some, well, for the way we look at it, death is traumatic. When my dad died in 2018, there was a different view. I remember that the people who were playing music lovingly shouting at us to dance. And we were like, what? And they said, you dance to celebrate that you are outliving your father. That was, the, that was the message they sent. So everything's got a different perspective, but you know, death is a minimum. So when we say what would happen, I, I don't know, but from the little things I get from indigenous cultures, my African background, there was a time when people were living okay. Yes, but we didn't have the great things we have now, but can we not take some of those practices? Can we not take the practice, the indigenous people here say part of their culture is to not have more than five of anything which is really nice. You know, I don't have that many shoes, but I understand why I want yellow shoes, blue shoes to go with the dresses. And it's going to have to be a change in how we are because I think greed comes from people maybe having lack in in the past. So when you say, Mm. what could it look like? It could look pretty solid. It could look like what it was like before, but even richer because now the human brain has evolved with amazing technology, amazing science. But it's got to be not at the cost of greed or controlling Mm. so that one or a small percentage has dominion over other. It's a radical culture change. But my gut tells me, based on Indigenous cultures who are still living and breathing hard, despite what they've been through, there was a way to live peacefully and happily. And yes, trauma still happened. People would still lose babies, sadly. People would still pass away. People would still potentially have illnesses but we wouldn't be going and be perpetrating it on others yeah it would be
0: life Mm. that's beautiful thank you for sharing just a lot of your inner world with us today is there anything that I didn't ask you that you think is important to say no your questions were really profound (laughs) and I can't wait for this to come out so I can just share because really profound
1: and yeah you've given me a gift I think you've, you've asked everything and more because my brain was searching the depths of my soul, (laughs) but really good. Yeah. Really good questions. Thank you.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much. And, um, I really do just appreciate you being so open and soul searching. So where can our listeners find you and your work?
1: Instagram is probably the best at the moment because I highlight things I'm doing so I'm just um, there is yemi.pen yem and the same with my website yemi.pen.com I know you put that in the show notes but that's where I'll have updates and I am a LinkedIn girl as well because I do think working with corporates is probably going to be a big way for some of this radical change because they are the ones who have workhorses who are building the world so I think it'd be good if they took a bit of responsibility and offer for the sustainability of humanity. So I'm, I'm on LinkedIn every now and again, giving some of our leaders um, a nudge to make a difference.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Yemi. It has been a pleasure. Well, y'all, it's been a hell of a podcast season. Thanks for listening. Let us know how the season impacted you in a rating and review on Google, Apple Podcasts, or Facebook. You can find links to all of these places and more in the show notes at humanamplified.com front episodes front 104. This is your host, Brandy Fleck, signing off. And until next time, rock on.